Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. seems different because you are different. You, you, you see different things. If you can't change anything because it's already happened, you may as well smell the flowers. Hello, welcome to Rewatchability. It's the podcast where we revisit movies and TV shows of the past to see how they hold up today. I'm J.M. McNabb, and I'm joined as always by... Blaine Waters. And... Still Robert Larone. <laughs> And we're back. We talked uh, last week about what we'd be doing this week. And, of course, the movie we arrived at was 12 Monkeys. Yeah. The 1995 Terry Gilliam movie about uh, (laughs) so much. (laughs) That's if the end of the world hasn't happened between last week and this week. That's true. Uh, (laughs) We're doing this partly inspired by the real-life viral emergency that, you know, I guess our children will be, like, putting on the rubber suits with Christmas lights in it and yeah. trying to piece together what happened. Let's be honest. This is probably being listened to by somebody who's been sent from the future <laughs> or, you know, sure. at least to the surface. Oh, shit. They're going to think that we did it. <laughs> we did not do it, yeah. though maybe in a roundabout way we did. Humanity <laughs> in general. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yeah. 12 Monkeys, you know, big famous movie. We hope... With this new format that you watched it along with us and are, and are ready to, to get into the nitty gritty of mm-hmm. it. Before we get into that, I do want to say you can go to patreon.com slash rewatchability and kick in a few bucks a month. And mm-hmm. thanks so much to everybody that, that, that does that. It helps keep the show going. It helps keep Rob in the underground bunker That's in which right. he goes w- between episodes. <laughs> Keeping you in cans of beans. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's good. It's your turn to hose them off after the show. <laughs> okay, that's great. I thought I had things to do, but make sure you use that extra hot water. <laughs> there is so much to talk about with 12 Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Even just now when I said it's a movie about my brain froze up because <laughs> the words like time travel and plague and, you know, environmental Fate, terrorism. Destiny. Yeah, Naked Bruce Willis, you know, so many things. There's a few bums in this <laughs> and I don't I don't mean the homeless that's gentlemen. Pejorative. <laughs> I, I mean like literally bare bums from yeah. from famous We get to see history. the sexiest ass of nineteen ninety five. That's true. <laughs> Take that, Captain America. Yes. <laughs> There's so much to talk about, so let's get right into the rundown. Rob okay. What happens in 12 Monkeys? So 12 Monkeys, it starts in 1996, which is the future, believe it or not, (laughs) because this was filmed in the past. Wait, does it start in 1996? Well, it tells us that in 1996, there was this big old plague and humanity was almost entirely wiped out and all the survivors had to go underground. Mm. That's what we're told at the beginning of the movie. And the next thing that we see is like a flashback. We see this scene of this man running through an airport and he seems like he's chasing somebody, but he gets shot. And then we see that this is being watched by a little boy. And then we see that it's being remembered by Bruce Willis, who is like some sort of prisoner in this underground society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he is he's essentially like voluntold to, <laughs> <laughs> to go on this uh, mission to the surface where everything has been devastated. Like there's no human life up there. The animals are roaming free. He sees like a lion on a bank. Yeah. So how is this lion surviving in the winter in Philadelphia? That's Shut what I up, Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't know what sort of alpha species could thrive when there is a void in an apex predator. 
Right. But they <laughs> they have no no food stock. What are they <laughs> eating? Cats? Dead humans? <laughs> Dead humans, maybe. He's probably right. <laughs> <laughs> That's, if you die and your cats are there, you know what's happening. <laughs> true, true, true. Yeah. But so he does so well at this mission, he collects enough bugs that they voluntold him to go on another mission, a bigger mission. Mm-hmm. And we don't quite know what it is, but the next thing is, is he sort of is arrested in the past which is 1996. And we meet Madeline Stowe, the psychiatrist. Yeah, that's right. She's playing this woman named Catherine mm-hmm. Rayleigh. And she, you know, she's there to help this guy because he's, he's so confused. He doesn't know what time it is. He says that he's from the future. And so when somebody says they're from the future or they're Jesus Christ, they send for her. Has it, <laughs> hasn't she ever seen a movie before? Like usually when someone says they're from the future, they're right. Yeah, exactly. That's what every you know, movie ever yeah, made. That's why I believe all those guys on YouTube that, <laughs> <laughs> telling us what's up. I I gotta say I love Madeline Stowe. She's great. Uh, she is great. I haven't seen her in much else. Uh, yeah, I looked her up because I didn't recognize her from anything else. What? It, because the blonde or <laughs> that's okay. right. Yeah. <laughs> she changed her hair color. It's so tricky. <laughs> she was in uh, Stakeout. And yeah. Shortcuts. Yeah. And. Uh, what was the movie right before this? Was it like Blink or I don't know. she was in some thriller? She's great. I don't know if she has like a fervent enough fan base for this, but if she has like a fan base like Jimmy Buffett has the parrot heads, <laughs> they should call them stowaways. Oh, that's just – that's good. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I like it. That's uh... – <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if she's that popular, but she's great. <laughs> I think we all just became stowaways. I think yeah. we, she's great in this movie. Yeah, but she doesn't believe him, obviously, and he gets committed to a mental institution. Mm-hmm. And it's there that he meets this guy named Jeffrey Goins, played by the aforementioned sexiest man alive, Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is—he's like a nine point five out of ten at this point because you know he's wiry, <laughs> he's like being really twitchy and manic. He's got like tufts of his hair. Pulled out. Mm -hmm. But he's basically – he shows Bruce Willis around the place, sort of gives him the setup all while ranting about like consumerism and the environment and all that stuff, sounding like a real – crazy person or somebody who has a handle on what is happening in the world. <laughs> it is it is weird to see the like the the guy who was just on the cover of People magazine for being the sexiest man alive like ranting about the the problems of consumerism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like oh, I I just paid 5.99 for that magazine you were on. <laughs> are you telling me I'm an asshole for it? <laughs> But wow. you are so right. Like when I was watching it, I was everything he's saying. We've since come to know to be true. Like mm-hmm. everything. It's yeah. So sad. Yeah. Yeah. But he he needs to get out of this insane asylum. And so is that the right? I don't think that's the right term. I mean, today. it's not the right term. Not, Neither is mental institution. Well, no. you, you, I think and you, this wasn't. This wouldn't be considered like a good. Place. No, I, I think the right term is probably like mental health facility, but yeah. this is basically a dungeon in yeah. which they've thrown all that's, these people. That's why we can call it like the nut house because it's like this imagination of what that would be like. Yeah, and yeah. it's also like a very like Terry Gilliam-esque sort of situation. So it's yeah. not just that like – well, and to like give him a little bit of credit, I do think that there is like a lot of humanity in the way that he portrays the people there. But at the same time, they are like kind of like – you know, stock caricatures. It's a condition of mental divergence. I find myself on the planet Ogo, part of an intellectual elite, preparing to subjugate the barbarian hordes on Pluto. But even though this is a totally convincing reality for me in every way, nevertheless, Ogo is actually a construct of my psyche. I am mentally divergent in that I am escaping certain unnamed realities. They are. But I also think like as kind of cartoonish as as it is, I think the way he films it and the way it's portrayed is meant to like for us, the audience members, to feel the kind of – the burden and yeah. the, the mishandling of these patients. For sure. Totally. So, I, yeah, I don't think it's as, as dated as you might initially suspect. No, no. And it really reminded me of that scene in The Fisher King too where they're in the hospital and uh, everyone's trying to get attention and trying to get help and no one is getting help. Yeah. It's canted angles. You feel for the people. You're like, oh, you shouldn't be here. You should be being helped in some way. And yeah. even the Brad Pitt character who's like, you know, in the movie, quote unquote, crazy is yeah. like you said – 
making valid points about <laughs> yeah. about sure. the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, he might have some mental health struggles, but that doesn't discount what he has to say. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the people that they have playing the um, their kind of captors, quote unquote. Yeah, the orderlies. Have, yeah, have the most like anger management issues out of anyone in that ward. Well, that's also like a Stock you know, kind character. of a cliche. Yeah, you know, it's the it's nurse very, ratchet thing. Yeah, or yeah, but yeah, but so he Brad Pitt helps him attempt to escape, but he gets recaptured and he's sort of put into this cell, but he disappears. Mm-hmm. Straight through the walls. Straight through the walls. And the Riddler can't even figure out where he went. <laughs> Frank Gorshin. <laughs> That's pretty good. He plays the doctor. You know, I didn't know if you guys – I put that as one of the trivia things for later. I didn't know if you guys would recognize Dude. him. Oh, I didn't recognize him at all. That's great. <laughs> Which is funny that it's the Riddler because in the scenes that he's in in the hospital – or not, not necessarily the ones he's in, but in the hospital he's overseeing – is shot entirely with canted angles mm-hmm. like right. the Batman show. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's creepy. I have a Frank Gorshin story. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Go ahead. I met Frank Gorshin. Good story. Good. Thanks. Let's move on. Well, no, I, I, it's a slightly longer story. No, I, so I, I love the – You're institutionalized. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this, JM. I'm from the future. <laughs> 1996. <laughs> uh, I, I uh, was a big fan of the Batman show and as a kid, I went to go see Frank Gorshin. He's dead now, but mm. he did a stand-up show at Yuck Yucks Whoa. in Toronto <laughs> and it was like a straight – because he was a comedian before he got the Batman gig right. and he just came in and did like literally his act from like 1964. <laughs> it was – a very old school. What's the deal with Albert Schweitzer? <laughs> no, well, he's an he's an impressionist, so he's doing his impressions, but they're all like you know Kirk Douglas this one's and Albert Bert, Schweitzer, <laughs> no, it was Burt Lancaster, and cool. all, all these guys. And it was like it was great. It was he was amazing, and it was just you know it was this kind of uh, just perfectly <laughs> perfectly imported from the 1960s act, wow. the kind of thing you'd probably see in the in the Vegas Strip, you know, yeah, smoking and drinking <laughs> copiously, but. That was great. I didn't get to meet him then. But then years later, I went to uh, this like kind of like nostalgia show before like Comic Cons were so crazy big. They'd have – they probably still have these kinds of things. But it was like a nostalgia show where people went in. They sold comic books and old toys and stuff. Mm. And it was literally in an elementary school gym also in Toronto. Very sad, very depressing, not crowded. And the special guest was Frank Gorshin. And he – Sat up there on this uh, on the little stage where you know most days of the week the principal of the <laughs> elementary school oh is you God. know telling kids not to poop in the hallways or whatever. <laughs> I have a way I want this story to end, and I really hope it ends. Well, I so I it was really depressing, and I went up there, and uh, you know Frank Gorsh. I don't even think he was like looking us in the eyes. He just I like had eight by tens of the Riddler and eight by tens of his appearance on Star Trek. Mm. And he, he was like, oh, what she wants, Star Trek or the Riddler. And you know, <laughs> it's just signing it for people. I don't even think there was a lineup to, to oh, meet God. him. And we met him. And uh, uh, I was with my dad. And we said, you know, we went and we saw you do stand-up, you know, five years ago or whatever it was. And he looked up and you could tell he just lit up completely. Mm. He was like, oh, really? Like, what did you think? Like, he, he came to life when he <laughs> oh, was talking about really nice. stand-up yeah. and was so, I think, touched that we uh, – had been fans of his comedy and just didn't want to sign an eight by ten of whoever that alien from Star Trek was. Right. Yeah. You like me for for me? Yeah, but he seemed like a sweet man. As my, yeah, oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. I thought you were going to say that he just did the same act again, like, like verbatim. No, no, that's the only thing he's ever done in front of a crowd. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good story. Yeah, yeah he's that's great in this. So then he gets he's back in the future, mm-hmm. and um, they're not exactly happy with his performance. So, because he didn't call in, he didn't leave a message on this like answering machine that he was supposed to leave a message on. Well, they think that he did leave a message. It's just that it's taken him a long time to put it back together. So they play him this message, this strange message. Yeah, and um, he decides to convince them to like send him back. Right. So they do. They put him in like the little the little tube. And uh, <laughs> they squeeze him out. They squeeze. They squeeze him into the past. <laughs> and they, I, they say that it's going to be more accurate this time. But immediately after they say that, he shows up in World War One. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a real funny joke in the middle of this movie for no reason. Yeah, oh, I kind of love that. Like. Well, for one thing, I wouldn't trust anyone to like, send me to the past, especially not like some weird shambolic future government. Yeah, sure. But also you imagine like 
because it's not set in that far away a future. It's set in mm-hmm. 2035. The resources are somewhat diminished. So, like, of course their time travel would be yeah. sloppy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love that they keep sending him to the wrong time. Me too. I, I like that. Yeah, so he's there briefly, and then he disappears. And then the next thing we see is Madeline Stowe, uh, Catherine, she's giving a lecture about prophecies and the Cassandra effect, mm-hmm. which is the thing where you tell the future and nobody believes you, right? Yeah. And she talks about this guy in World War One, who it turns out is we know is Bruce Willis, right? Yeah, mm. and she even and she even gets a visit from David Morris, yeah, you know, who comes to see her after her talk. Mm-hmm. But immediately after that, she's kidnapped. Yeah. She had a big fan of hers in the back seat. Yeah, stowaway. A stowaway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of her stowaways got too uh, <laughs> enthusiastic and uh, pretends to have a gun and uh, kidnaps her. And this, is, of course, is James Cole, is the Bruce Willis character. And she recognizes him from before. And I should also mention that she says that she, she thought he was familiar the first time that, uh, that she saw him. Right. right. He remembers him from something, but not, not sure where. Yeah. It was probably Die Hard with a Vengeance, which came out <laughs> just a few months before oh, shit, that. you're Bruce Willis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bruce Willis was going through a tough time. <laughs> he didn't know he was making a movie. <laughs> but yeah, he kidnaps her and he forces her to like drive, I think, to Philadelphia, right? Mm. Yeah, because he's trying to track down the 12 monkeys. Yeah. And all the while, like... Did he... we even mention the 12 monkeys yet? No. That seems like an oversight well, in a, in a movie called up. 12 Monkeys. <laughs> I mean, the, we don't know quite what the 12 Monkeys thing is, like, at first. like we. But he sees the sign in that first scene, no? That's right. And he says yeah. we, there's a spray-painted picture of the red monkey and a sign that says, we did it. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to See, if you tra- watch that movie now, you'd just be like, oh, it's probably a Banksy. Or it's, <laughs> it's probably not a clue. Yeah. That's a piece of art. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's an advertisement. <laughs> but... He's he's sent back with the explicit mission from the message, the message that they made him listen to, mm-hmm. that he's supposed to find out where the 12 monkeys are and stop the sort of thing from happening. Right. That's his mission. Yeah. So that's why he's going to Philadelphia to track them down. That's right. And he discovers that like Brad Pitt is the leader of the 12 monkeys, right? That's yeah, that's right. That's he discovers pretty fast. And even that he – Gave him the idea for wiping out humanity when he was like – he was talking about things. He was watching TV yeah. and he says, you know, maybe mankind deserves to be wiped out. Right. And yeah. then Brad Pitt's like, that's a great idea. <laughs> I only get my ideas from Bruce Willis's. <laughs> Thank you so much for this. I just want access to the pure virus. Virus? Yes, for the future. I need to know where it is and exactly what it is. Ah, I get it. I see what you're up to. It's your old plan, isn't it? What plan? Yes, you do. We were in the day room watching television, and you were all upset about the desecration of the planet, which I understand. But then you said to me, "Wouldn't it be great if there was a germ or a virus that would wipe out all of mankind, no. like the animals no. and the trees?" That no, you're just trying to confuse me. Now. Funny. And I told you my father was this famous virologist, and you said, "Hey, he can make a germ, and we can steal it." <laughs> well, there's also this weird scene I wanted to get your guys' opinion of when after he kidnaps Madeline Stowe, after they figure out that Jeffrey is behind the 12 Monkeys, they go to his dad's mansion where he's having a party. Uh, right. play, played by previous sexiest man alive, Christopher Plummer. Yeah, 1994. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's a <laughs> – I don't know if he was a sexiest man. I, I, he's the sexiest man in our hearts. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. But And he plays like this top virologist around the world, right? He's like right. working with viruses. So yeah. he's probably in on this whole end of the world thing. Yeah, we see all the pieces coming together. Yeah. 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 Uh, and – they go to find him and there's this kind of – there's this weird edit where Bruce Willis is basically attacking Madeline Stowe. And I, I looked it up. A lot of – or at least a few places got – even reviews at the time thought that it was implied that he sexually assaulted her in that moment. Yeah. Because he says like, oh, you smell so good and then basically grabs her and then it cuts – to right. the we're, mansion. Well, I think we're meant to think that he murdered her or did something horrible to her. And then, you know, when he comes – because there's even in the I mean, the he put house, her in the trunk. It's pretty horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Time out. But he puts her in the trunk. But, like, we don't know that. We think something may be horrible happened to her. And then we see the news uh, thing in the kitchen. 
where someone over the news is saying that maybe the body, potentially the body of her, right. like, Madeline Stowe, right. was found in a park. So we're like, oh, he murdered her. He is crazy. I think that's what it's supposed to be. So when he opens the trunk, we're supposed to be like, oh, he didn't do anything to her. He just put her in the trunk, like, because all of that was fake. It's so weird because I don't think that that character would murder that woman for a second. Like, no. that would be such, like, you know, that would be such a, a left field play. Yeah, I also I don't think we're meant to believe that he would force himself on her either. Like through what we know of his character and what we <laughs> the signs we've been given, I would hope it's surprising not. that uh, Terry Gilliam doesn't. Uh, <laughs> oh God! Yeah, <laughs> you know, know the difference. Maybe we should address the uh, elephant running wild through the streets. Uh, <laughs> Terry Gilliam is uh, has kind of been putting his foot in his mouth. Lately oh in God. interviews, uh, I don't remember exactly what he said. He called Me Too a witch hunts and yeah. was kind of making fun of like uh, identity politics in an awkward old man way. Yeah, It's really – I mean it's disappointing obviously because I do think he's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Right. And also because of his connection to Monty Python, you know. Yeah. I have so many like, you know, great beloved memories. So you I want him s- on the right side of history. I want him on the right side of history. Yeah. I, you know, and – there are lots of cranks in Monty Python. John Cleese is kind of a crank. Eric Idle's kind of a greedy old crank. Mm-hmm. Michael Palin's nice. Yeah, <laughs> but I met him too. Oh, nice. Yeah. Actually, I, and I met uh, Terry Gilliam, and he was lovely, but uh, <laughs> doesn't excuse the things he said, obviously. <laughs> Me too is bullcrap. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? It's 2003. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you saying that? I've come from the future to tell you. <laughs> right. Yeah. God damn it. It's just – it sucks. It's really disappointing. And I mean, you know, like Terry Gilliam also – I think because of his acerbic nature, like he's the guy who, you know, he fought the studios with Brazil. He was like fighting to get his movies made and to do it his way and to like, you know, make films that were imaginative and surreal and like not formulaic. And uh, it sucks because, A, the movies he's made since, you know, recently haven't been great. And B, he's uh, a dick. (laughs) I remember when the time I met him was at a screening of Brazil. And uh, the singer from uh, Metric was sitting behind me. (laughs) And during the Q&A portion, she asked like, oh, it's such a bold movie. Like, did the studio not have any problem with it? And and everyone kind of laughed. And he was like, oh, do you not know this story? And she's like, no. So he was like, oh, okay. So and then he kind of went into the whole thing. Because, I mean, there have been like books written about the, the, you know, the various cuts and and notes he had to deal with on that movie well yeah some of the behind the scenes of this movie is that he was so afraid to work with universal again because of brazil right yeah yeah he had to like so many people had to sign so many pieces of paper to give him final cut on this movie yeah which is kind of amazing that it happened at all definitely uh, based on based on that crazy thing yeah yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. but i mean thankfully it's it's sort of perfect material for him and it's really great you know this is one of the things does he usually write his own scripts? I can't remember. He did up until uh, The Fisher King. Yeah. That was the first thing he directed that he hadn't written. Well, yeah. I mean, this is like just such a perfect fit for his material. And there's not too much Terry Gilliam-esque-ness in it, but just like the right amount. Yeah. 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 Sure. But that said, yeah, it doesn't make it easy watching the parts with uh, women because uh, <laughs> he, yeah, I just don't think he's great with women. You know, even in this, yeah. like, even though Madeline Stowe is so great, there is like – there is sometimes like the sense like she is like an object to be won or something like, you know, like, yeah, like Bruce like Willis point. is going to like kiss her, you know, or yeah. yeah, they're going to get together at some point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I But I think Madeline Stowe kind of shines through all that. She's kind of the the eye of this hurricane of madness in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like whenever she's on screen, I can take a little a little breather and enjoy the movie. Sometimes. Yeah. Hashtag stowaway. <laughs> yeah. But- all through this, there's been like a media thing happening, a media event. It is little Timmy, I think his name is, mm-hmm. has been uh, stuck in a well. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's a big thing. We sort of follow it from moment to moment. And Bruce Willis's character, he even like, you know, refers to it. And he tells Madeline Stowe that in the end, it's a prank that the boy was hiding in a barn mm-hmm. and that he was safe the whole time. Right. And she doesn't believe it. 
until after the kidnapping ordeal is over, after they've gone to see the FAA, which is the precursor group to the 12 Monkeys and real, and found out about Jeffrey Goins' mm-hmm. attachment to it and all of that stuff. She is – so much stuff happens, but she <laughs> is free and she's like talking to her friends and they're like – Oh, yeah, they found that boy. He was hiding in a barn. It was a prank the whole time. And so this is really interesting because up until this point, she hasn't believed him about Mm -hmm. the time travel. And he has slowly been accepting the point that, like, the guy in the asylum tells him – not the asylum, the mental health facility (laughs) – tells him that he is having a divergent experience. That he – he very succinctly and eloquently talks about his problems that – he sort of believes this, but it's a problem. And, you know, until he gets himself right, he'll st- still have these hallucinations or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so Bruce Willis's character, Cole, hasn't, hasn't bought into this, but he's slowly starting to. And, you know, after like being sent back, I mean, he, all he wants is to be in this place, which is like normalcy, which he is starting to believe is the place that is not a hallucination. Mm-hmm. He flips. And so he thinks that he's having a divergent experience and she is saying, no, you were right. Yeah. You were right about the future. It is all going to end if we don't do something. Because the kind of the final nail in the coffin, too, is that that uh, cook from Wet Hot American Summer phones her up and is like, <laughs> oh, I, I, we found this bullet from the First World War. And it's oh, like, yeah, that's right. Maloney. Yeah, Stabler. Maloney. <laughs> Stabler does some of his classic victim empathy. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Special victim. Yes. The other thing the movie does really cleverly, I think, is not only does Bruce Willis start to – doubt the reality of the future, but the movie, the way it depicts the future becomes very surreal. So even as an audience member, you kind of start to doubt its reality. I read that that's what Terry Gilliam wanted to do was to be like, this could be a time travel story or this could be a story about mental illness. Like it could be either one. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah, which is not true because as long as you ignore happens, the photograph from World War One. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And everything that happens from then well, on out. No, but there are like you know, every once in a while you see a photograph or a painting that looks like exactly like somebody. That's like, true. That right. was like Greta Thunberg. Nicholas yeah. Cage. Keanu, yeah. Keanu Reeves. I, there's a painting of like, you know, Isaac sacrificing his son that looks exactly like my brother Kenny mm. and his neck's being cut. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Whenever you like were angry at him, did you slip that picture under his door? I just start painting. <laughs> Yeah, but, I mean, the future, as they depict it, is really strange. Like, there's this, like, panel of doctor scientists. There's, like, this weird, like, media ball thing with all these screens on it. Mm -hmm. The time travel device is, like, a see-through tube. (laughs) You laugh, but in 15 years, we're all going to be watching media balls. (laughs) It's going to be how we consume entertainment. Well, yeah. (laughs) So we should probably, like, get to the ending, because the the ending's the big thing. We. When we finally get to this, well, they go to the movies. Yeah, they go she to dyes the... her hair because mm-hmm. she's on in eighteen Hitchcock movies. That's right, and yeah, they're they're going to go to the airport to stop. Yeah, Brad Pitt from... to stop Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. and while he's there, Cole realizes that this dream that he's been having that we've been seeing throughout the mo- the movie of the guy being shot in the airport, he realizes that this is the moment that it's not a dream that it's a memory. Yeah. And, That's um, a great realization. I love that kind of flip. I know this place. Airports all look the same. This is my dream. Oh, <laughs> you must. It's not just my dream. I was actually here. Remember now. I about a week or two before the before everyone started dying. Oh. <gasps> careful. They might be looking for us. I was here. They've also figured out that Brad Pitt was not the source of the toxin because while they're in the taxi to the airport, the taxi driver tells them that the people who released all the animals were the 12 monkeys. And that's what they were referring to with the we did it. So the taxi driver is like the short woman with a beret, and I I just wanted to know so much about her. Yeah, she's <laughs> like, a- amazing. I want a whole other spinoff movie just about her. That's not the what the uh, Amazon series is about. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, but yeah, so they really should have been more specific with that uh, street art. Yeah. <laughs> what did they do? Yeah. We released the animals, yeah. not this other thing. <laughs> or any it. other thing. And by it we mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so Bruce Willis gets shot in front of himself. Madeline Stowe realizes it like, oh. They realize that it's um, – It's David Morris is the uh, – yeah. The creepy virus guy. Yeah, because he works with Christopher Plummer mm-hmm. and uh, – yeah, and he's releasing the virus. And yeah, and it all happens like – just like happens exactly like in his memory. He's running. He has the gun. He tries to – gets prepared to shoot and then he gets shot and he dies. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of the movie. Well, and then Almost. there's the, the scene with uh, the woman from the future. What's her name? Jones, she says. That's right. And uh, she she sits next to David Morris because you kind of realize that uh, that they can't change anything about the future. That it's all kind of set in stone, and the only thing they can do is learn as much about the virus as possible. Well, they were trying to get a sample of the virus, yeah. which is why they're like e- he's eating bugs and stuff to take them back to the future to try to get some of that sample of of the virus, right? And so yeah, yeah. so she says she's talking to the guy, and she says she works in insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Now, some people I, I went online. Some people think this is a coincidence that this is like irony of all ironies. She was beside this guy the whole yeah. time, and that she, in the future she should have realized that she was beside this guy. In Wait, the plane. what? Yeah, some people think that, and then other people think no, she was also returned to the past after they got all this information, and she's there to get infected to take it back to the future to like because everyone's immune in the future, so she can at least. Get it the the first strain, and then they can synthesize like an antidote. That's what I assumed. Or she could just pick his brain and be like, "Hey, how exactly does that virus work?" Or kidnap him and bring him back to the future and torture him until he has a cure. I was I was a bit confused about that. Like I didn't know whether like because they send Bruce Willis to kill him. So I thought maybe when she was saying that she's insurance, that she was going to commit the killing herself but then the virus wouldn't spread the same way wait they don't they don't send bruce willis to kill him do they but that guy well, gives him a gun yeah. exactly so they do kind of but i want keep... i thought i kind of read that as almost like they know that Fulfill he has to die future, yeah so that's but he doesn't they're... have to die unless they unless they yeah. make him die it's so interesting I, I i've been reading up on um like time travel theories and stuff and people think that if you know we went back and changed something it would kind of ricochet back and forth, like recursively, until right. it kind of went back to normal. Like there would be echoes of oh. the things we changed, but less and less until it like kind of returned to normalcy after, after all. So right. you could never really change. You could think you changed the, the future, but you never really would. So this kind of feels like it's in one of those bounce back moments where like – they kind of change the future, but it's normalizing again. Like you, they they couldn't fully change. It's like it. when you pluck the string on a guitar. Right, the reverberation. String theory. <laughs> We're so high right now, guys. <laughs> sorry. Guitar, harmonica, the return of Bruno, <laughs> all fits. It works. It works. Okay, we're gonna be right back after a few messages. We're gonna have some trivia, some behind the scenes stuff. Stick around. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We're back on rewatchability. We're talking about 12 monkeys. Uh, sorry, did we disinfect these microphones? Oh, my God. <laughs> we No, we definitely did not. <gasps> Just immediately dies. That's, you know, that's why uh, Steven Tyler has all those rags on his <laughs> microphone. To be, he's constantly wiping them for germs. <laughs> okay, so we have some behind-the-scenes stuff. Blaine, you and I both prepared some trivia questions. Well, yeah. Why don't you go first? With some... so, uh, so let's let Rob do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I have, I have some questions. Okay. Um, I, you guys are so much more clever than me when it comes to movies, so you'll answer these pretty easily. There are two movies where Bruce Willis, might have already read this, <laughs> travels back in time and meets a younger version of himself. 
What are those movies? Oh, come on. Well, I, I had a sort of different variation of the same question. Oh, great. Okay. okay. What was yours? Mine is there are – excluding this movie, there are three movies oh. where Bruce Willis interacts with his past self. Okay. Can you name those three movies? Oh, my God. Okay. One of them is for sure Looper. Yes. Yes. And then another one is for sure The Kid? Disney's The Kid. Disney's The Kid. Yeah, I can't think of the third one. one. This one's kind of a trick. Okay. I mean, it's probably a trick because no one saw this movie because it's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not a time travel movie. Okay. If that helps. So how – so how does he interact with himself in the past if it's not time travel? It is a movie called Surrogates. Oh, she has like I a robot version of his younger self. I've seen that. Have I? I seen made that? someone else watch that for me. I think I've seen <laughs> what a surrogate. Oh, God, <laughs> I remember God that. Damn it, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great movie. No. Okay. Yeah, that was like okay, cool. that was like some very early uh, de aging technology. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was rough. <laughs> it was not great. Scorsese was like, uh, "Not ready yet." <laughs> <laughs> I will improve that by four <laughs> percent. <laughs> okay, so uh, the song "Blueberry Hill" is in this movie. Mm-hmm. They, the yes. scientists sing it in this movie also, mm-hmm. and it was written in 1940, but is best remembered for its version by Fats Domino, released in 1956. But what world famous person revitalized its popularity in 2010? I didn't know that happened. Wait, what? There's a person that we all know the full name of, very <laughs> famous person, that sang this. Blueberry Hill. Blueberry Hill in front of a bunch of other famous people. And it became like a meme and it, it be, went viral. And it became a meme. And it's a person with three names. Well, no, two names. <laughs> Was it like Obama or something? Oh, that's close. Was Politician. Stephen Don- Harper? No. <laughs> Donald Trump? Uh, oh, even closer because <laughs> it was Vladimir Putin. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. The funniest thing <laughs> watching the video, maybe we'll put it up on Facebook or something. Watch It's first of all. He the was, lyrics are changed because it's like, this person lost my thrill and he will be disappeared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you find all of us suicide with one bullet in the back of our heads. Blueberry Hill is the name of a gulag. Yeah. <laughs> Getting his kicks. Yeah. No, he sang it. It's not great. There's like an echo effect on his voice. I think someone else is singing I don't it. Of course. Yes. And then it, it pans from him singing it like he's not enjoying himself at all, like stone-faced, to... Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn both laughing and clapping <laughs> along. It's like the weirdest fucking thing. Oh my god! Oh, wow. Yeah, it That's wasn't crazy. like it wasn't just for him. It was a, uh, a fundraiser for for ill children, which is probably why those celebrities were there. But uh, it just just makes me feel weird. Yeah. By the way, like if uh, no new rewatchability comes on your feed next week, it's because uh... <laughs> <laughs> they slip polonium in our coffees. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have another question? I do. I do. So Brad Pitt was nominated for his role. In this film for Best Supporting Actor, he lost to Kevin Spacey in Usual Suspects. That didn't mm-hmm. age well, Academy. It didn't age well. Brad Pitt has since been nominated five times for an Academy Award. Um, and he's won twice what were his two wins for. Well, I do know this. Yeah, because he, he won this year. <laughs> yes. He won literally weeks ago. <laughs> Best Supporting Actor, yep, for Once Upon a Time. And the for other, his abs, I think. The I other time that. he won, I believe, was as a producer, right? It was. For 12 Years a Slave. Yes. Oh. The, 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 that's the, the times he was nominated, too, for the big short, I think, as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. The, that was a movie in which he produced and gave himself a role in as the one nice white guy. <laughs> Like, I'll be the one guy that like helps free uh, Solomon. Dude, I'm not casting myself as a slave owner. That shit will stick with me. I want to be sexiest man alive again. <laughs> yeah, that's what you can do if you're a producer. Right. There you go. I have one other oh, question please. that we haven't uh, covered. Okay. And that is an actor from the last movie we talked about, Last Action Hero. Okay. Someone in that movie appears in the 12 Monkeys TV show. Do you know who that is? Arnold <laughs> fucking Schwarzenegger. No. Okay. Damn. I was uh, wrong strong, I'm right? i say uh, Mercedes Rule. Oh, no. Oh, okay. It, it is. You're all you're done guessing? Yeah. Austin O'Brien? Tom Noonan. 
Oh, Tom Noonan. Uh, you got Noonan. <laughs> that's so, that's good, good. He plays some kind of shadowy character. I haven't seen it. He's, he's, <laughs> I, a long I watched the first episode once. Yeah, and me I, too. I, I hear it gets really good, but the first episode is kind of just a a glossier, handsomer, not handsomer because Brad Pitt's in this, I guess, but like a, a <laughs> everyone looks more more bathed <laughs> than they do in the movie, but it's essentially the same story in that first episode. Yeah. But it has like the same characters, like there's a James Cole and a Jeffrey yeah. Goins. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if they have the same names. They they changed the name of Madeline Stowe's character to Cassandra because they really wanted oh, to hit that wow. theme a little bit more. I also, also Brad Pitt's character is a woman, I think, right? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I I can't remember it. I watched the pilot so long ago, and and then watched half the second episode, and was like, nope. Yeah, um, it was filmed here in Toronto. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, his name is James Cole. And I the... should give it another go. Mm. But I, I was just the Cassandra thing is is about saying what is happening, people not believing you, or what will happen, people not believing yeah. you. Whereas like. The boy in the well is kind of the opposite of that. It's saying what did happen and a lot of people believing them, but it's not true. Well, yeah. And that's really really interesting. That's like the same thing as the movie where where, like everybody thinks that the red monkeys – or sorry, the 12 monkeys – Everyone just, you just well, everyone to go to your, your website. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. It's uh, redmonkey.angelfire.tripod.com. If you don't like it. Oh, you've been on my website. You must be one of the uh, visitors on the uh, counter. <laughs> you must be 102. <laughs> well, yeah, everybody thinks that the 12 monkeys are the ones who released the plague, but it wasn't the 12 monkeys. It was mm-hmm. this other guy. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. I mean – in right. terms of misinformation. Also, mm-hmm. I've been thinking a lot about misinformation because of this whole thing that's happening with the coronavirus. And then I also just watched Chernobyl. Okay, yeah. Chernobyl? Chernobyl? Yeah. It's, it's a, the documentary about the singer. It's about, yeah. It's about how Chernobyl Cher. Cher. <laughs> yeah. She had a big meltdown. Um, yeah, anyway, it's scary. Scary times. Uh. <laughs> Do you believe in life after love, after the apocalypse? <laughs> Did you guys ever watch La Jetée, the film upon which this is based? No. Didn't it come with the special edition of 12 Monkeys? It, no. Okay. I thought I thought it did. Yeah, I thought it Maybe did. Maybe like too. a recent one, but like yeah. not back in the day. Not back in the day. But yeah, like I'm... the special collector's edition, I think it came with. And I never... I'm just a regular collector. I don't let me have that. I don't oh, yeah. know. Yeah, I've I can't never remember. seen it. It's um, like it's a it's still photographs. Mainly still yeah. photographs. And it's yeah. like what? It's like twenty minutes long? There's like one part with movement. Right. It's uh, yeah, it's about half an hour. Yeah. It's great. I remember like when I because I obviously hadn't seen it before this, and I don't think it was commercially available here. So I remember trying to go to like a screening of it at the Cinematheque and it was mm-hmm. sold out. And I, I didn't get to see it till I actually went to film school and they had it in the library, I think, on film. So I oh, wow. borrowed Whoa. it and got to watch it. It was very exciting that I finally got to watch La Jete. And then uh, over the course of film school, I probably watched it 20 goddamn times because so many <laughs> right. so many classes showed it. But I, I was initially very excited to watch mm-hmm. it. And uh, I, I was, I was going to try to watch it because I have the – there's a Criterion Blu-ray of it now with uh, mm. with San Soleil. I was going to try to watch it again, and of course I I didn't have time. But mm-hmm. uh, it's a great movie. Yeah, and yeah. It, what I love about it is it's it's you know it's very simple story about like this guy who yeah has has seen his own death basically because yeah. of this time travel plot. And I, I love how this movie just kind of builds on that very simple premise and makes it its own thing. Mm-hmm. I read I looked up to see what Chris Marker the director thought of 12 Monkeys cuz I didn't know if he was like <laughs> shitty about it or if he he liked it and he uh yeah, he said he thought it was a magnificent film. And uh he was he thought it was just kind of its own yeah, its own movie uh and he respected Terry Gilliam, so yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's good that they you know, the reference to Le Jeté is not you know, minimized in any way. Like this movie, you know, like I feel like in all the sort of talk about it, it's like, yes, this is a adaptation remake is inspired by Le Jeté and, you know, even though it's its own thing. Right. It's interestingly inspired by because the Writers Guild was saying that was kind of a problem for them. It's something that they tripped over because 
I think you don't have to pay someone uh, a lot of money if you say inspired by. Right. But if it's based on – Yeah, I think it might have been the first time they did that. Uh, But they got David and Janet Peoples to to write this script, like a husband-wife power duo, screenwriters, who had been nominated for Academy Award for documentaries. I think they won it. Yeah, they probably – yeah. And he wrote Blade Runner. Yeah. He wrote Blade Runner and Lady Hawk. Yeah, uh, which is is just better than Blade Runner, from what I remember. It's got more <laughs> Rutger Hauer. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and Unforgiven. Oh right. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so very very strong writers, those two people, and, and they can, it shows. They, they're yeah, and they said uh, they basically got hired to do this movie. It yeah. was like a producer really wanted to remake La Jetée, and they didn't want to do it because the like I said, the short film is basically a perfect movie. But <laughs> apparently David People said in an interview to him and his wife, we say to each other, well, if they kidnapped our children and we had to write this in order to get our children back, what would we do? <laughs> That's how they came Jesus up with the story Christ. for wow. 12 Monkeys. Yeah, I, I'm going to think of that next time I have a writing assignment or yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same reason why – what's his name? He always writes uh, – Damon Lindelof did Watchmen, right? Because he – Said he, he children were kidnapped, he, but he loves it in in a way because the Watchman was his childhood, was the way right. he connected to his dad, and what got him into the business in the first place, and to watch it fall into someone else's hands who might do it worse, might harm his. You like, can say his name, Zack Snyder. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Then you know that that gave him pain. So it's almost like his children were kidnapped, and he was writing to get them back because it's. You know, for for them, if it's a perfect right. movie for them, if they love La Jetée, then giving it to some like it's probably well, going to be made though. anyway. It was, a, it was an assignment. They just didn't want to like you know do a worse movie. <laughs> True, but they probably didn't want anyone else to fuck it up either. So, and it was in good hands. They're they're great writers, yeah. and it shows. This movie was was great, and even the original uh, writer director of La Jetée liked it. Yeah, so and uh, it all worked out. Brad Pitt, like you said, was Oscar nominated for this. Mm-hmm. I remember at the time, like. People that were like a little older than me, maybe it was people I read or, or you know, older siblings of friends kind of thing were just – were kind of wrote him off as being just an impression of Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now. What? Right. Which I didn't, I didn't get because I didn't see that movie till a few years later. Sure. But I looked it up and he basically admitted it. He said when he was making this oh. movie, he locked himself in an apartment to try and get in the headspace of the character and just kind of focus on doing the work of – of figuring out what his performance would look like. And he said part of it was he was watching anything from Dennis Hopper, trying to find the voice of the movie. Well, that's cool. So yeah, it works. He straight yeah. up admitted he, uh, he was doing a, a Dennis Hopper thing. Yeah. I, I think it works. Yeah. Also, I mean, he's, he's like, he's amazing, I think, in this movie. And like, even like his eyes doing something weird when he's in the mental institution. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how they did that. I don't know whether it's just like something that he did that he has control over yeah. one eye. It's they weird. Can move them independently, but that was yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, but he's like totally committed to mm-hmm. the, to the role. And a lot of people took pay cuts on this movie to make this movie because they just wanted to work with Terry Gilliam. Yeah, yeah. which shows you how how things have changed. Because <laughs> I'm sure people are less <laughs> less likely to take a pay cut uh, and more raised to work with him now. But well, I mean, he's still his most recent movie had Adam Driver. Yeah. yeah, who's you know he's like one of the most beloved actors working. Yeah, but he's also in everything. I don't That's think true. he knows how to say no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Terry, I'm pretty busy. I got Marriage Story and Star Wars. <laughs> It'll only take nine months. I, I am a famous art house director. You must do what I say. <laughs> <laughs> I'll scream. I'll throw a tantrum. Uh, yeah, and all the alternate casting because Terry Gilliam wanted uh, Jeff Bridges because he just worked with him in right. the Fisher okay. King, so he wanted him to play the Bruce Willis role, and they were like, "Now nah, we don't." want want Jeff Bridges. We want a bigger name that will attract people to watch this movie. So they, he went for Bruce Willis who had auditioned for Jeff Bridges' role in The Fisher King. Oh. And was and was he went with Jeff Bridges then. But I find it weird because then the studio is like, "Oh, you only get this much money and you you have to kind of convince Bruce Willis to do it for nothing." And so Terry Gilliam <laughs> had to go to Bruce Willis and be like, "You're the only one that can do this." And then a week later be like, Take a massive pay cut. <laughs> I love the return of Bruno. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Bruce Willis said that uh, he would not get paid until it came out in theaters. Nice. Yeah. I mean, he's great in this as well. I really yeah. love his performance. He's so playing damaged and vulnerable. Yeah. And like he really sort of conveys, I think, what the feeling of being in a different time would be. Like he's 
so confused. Yeah, the, the scene where he hears the radio, the song on the radio, Blueberry Hill, yeah. like, and gets emotional. He's great. Oh, man, the tears welling. Uh, yeah, I think it's great. great. I read that Gilliam gave him the part because he saw the scene in Die Hard where he's taking out the glass from his feet while right. talking about his wife. Yeah, and, and he was like, that's a great scene, good writing in that scene. He's like, oh, I ad-libbed it. He's like, oh, you're the man for me. <laughs> I did it all. I directed it too. How did you direct? I did. I, did you like Hans? I played him. <laughs> I'll say whatever you want I, me I to say. I know you didn't do that. <laughs> you know, I, I totally forgot about this until you were talking about casting. I remember like when I rented the DVD, probably the last time I watched this years ago, there is a feature length doc about the making of this movie. And I remember, right. I don't remember much from that, but I do remember <laughs> at one point there, when they're shooting the the airport scene, like the big pivotal scene in the movie, he uh, fires the kid. Actor. Yes, I remember that too. Did you, did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was like... Oh, he's not working out. Yeah, he wasn't like... It wasn't that the kid was bad. It was just like they got on set and he, he was... Terry Gilliam was just playing like... It's not – he doesn't have the right look. Right. And it, it was – Apparently he like kind of clammed up because he was a kid on major movie set for the first maybe. time too. I, it seemed like he was like pretty sensitive about it. Yeah. I don't know. I, I do know like you know Sarah Pauly famously yeah. called him out for not having a good time on the Baron Munchausen set. Right. But it did seem like he, he kind of went up to the kid and it's like it's nothing you're doing but it's just like <laughs> – you know, we just – I just have a different vision for this. We just need to go another way. And then, yeah, like the crew had to be like, bring in the other kid. Yeah. <laughs> Another kid in the background. Yeah. The same day he had another kid. So, uh, yeah, but I remember that being like a really awkward – imagine like being on the set of the movie and being a little kid. I wonder where that kid is now. I don't know. Probably watched himself die. (laughs) What? I don't know. (laughs) Like in the movie? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That seemed really like morose otherwise. (laughs) A little morbid. If we're talking about the – you know, rewatching it now versus when we watched it as kids, one of the biggest and most obvious things about the movie now is the the very heavy-handed Jesus see implications of the movie. Oh, because Cole's initials are JC. Mm-hmm. That's oh, all, that's always a tip off. <laughs> and his the, his whole story is about having this kind of like predetermined death, right? That he does to to sacrifice himself for uh, for the good of humanity. Yeah. And also like the soapbox thing of like every crazy person throughout time that has been like, hey, the end is coming has been a time traveler that just didn't work out. Yeah. yeah. This, well, yeah. Is what they're kind of saying in this movie. Yeah. And also even just like the idea of like, you know, humanity and, and the apocalypse being kind of visited upon humanity because of our sins. Like they, mm-hmm. they do kind of. Right. Do kind of emphasize that that we're not just getting this virus for no reason. It's it's because of of all the things multiple characters espouse in the movie. The uh, you know and and especially the the way the environment is being treated, which is more relevant now than than even it was back in '95. Sadly, will continue to be more relevant forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're even saying like like they really uh, yeah they underscore the the apocalypse stuff with like Melon Stowe mentions. Book of Revelation and right. and everything in her lecture and uh, and people point to the end where the Christmas decorations basically solidify the fact that the future is not going to change and that's right. that's visualized in the form of that angel being right. being raised into place in the department store. Which and, is yeah, like an like an angel of of doom and apocalypse and yeah, but the angel, angel was of kind time. of strapped into this backboard. They were lifting it up by straps, and I think the eyes were shut, like covered by that. It strap reminds too. me of that Walter Benjamin essay. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Oh no, the angel of history or something like that. He yeah. only sees backwards at his destruction. Oh, that's it's really interesting. interesting. That's really. Cool. I don't know. I read about it in grad school. Yeah, <laughs> it uh, sounds like a grad school thing to read about. And also, twelve monkeys, twelve apostles. Yeah, oh. for sure, for sure. I don't know. Post-monkey I think there's man. something there. I just say Madeline Stowe's like Mary Magdalene. I did. Someone did say that. <laughs> I look. I, I. There's no one source to credit because I saw multiple t- people talking about. I mean, once you say maybe it's Jesus, you can just like you know you can read anything into it really. Yeah. But it does. Yeah, those parallels definitely work. Was there like a Bible story where Jesus ripped out people's teeth? <laughs> uh, John four twenty one. <laughs> Jesus got baked on some bad shit. Okay. I don't know. Maybe it was like dipped in formaldehyde. I don't know. And while we're talking about 
symbolism in the movie. I did see someone pointed out online that the the beds in the in the hospital where they sleep are kind of arranged in a circle like the Twelve Monkeys logo. Mm. Hmm. Thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is a bit interesting. Or a clock, but only a bit. <laughs> <laughs> did you have any other behind the scenes stuff? There was a lawsuit. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Was, Architect was... Lebius Woods. Yeah. Which, first of all, fucking great name. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a prime name. He sued over that chair and orb that was in the movie. Right. Yeah. Because it, uh, it was kind of it's taken my orb. from <laughs> – It's my orb. Give me the orb. From one of his pieces called Neo Mechanical – Upper Chain. I don't know. It, it's from that – Work, seminal work that everyone knows about. And um, he uh, he won. It would be almost insulting for you to name exactly what it's called. Yeah. Exa- well, I don't want to. we're all so familiar. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, you could go ahead and – No, I don't want to get sued. Okay. So <laughs> he, uh, he, he won the lawsuit and the next step for the studio was to take the scene out of the movie. And then he was like, or you could pay me a very high six-figure sum. And they were like, done. And it was <laughs> like, great. <laughs> Back he, up the dump truck of money. He did well. Which I think he did well. historically marked the first time that an artist made money. <laughs> <laughs> this movie and is famous last. for a bunch of reasons. It's great. We also didn't talk about the marketing campaign for this movie. Did you guys know about that? Yeah, Universal released a bunch of animals from zoos. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they it was like one of the first viral marketing campaigns. Like they put a bunch of – they spray painted a bunch of monkey signs all over like Los Angeles or something like that. And they really sort of like primed the world, the United States, whatever, for this movie. And then when it came out – Everybody was like, oh, this is what the monkeys are about. Right. It's a movie. But it was a very effective technique for the movie and I think you know, played into its success. And you know, it is noted as one of the first times that that sort of like outside marketing or uh, you know, I guess like the sort of almost pre-Blair Witch. Is this like something that's really happening right, or yeah, is yeah. it for a movie? Um, yeah, that's where that sort of came from. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's also echoes of this movie in other movies with the actors that kind of echo them. To explain, the Bruce Willis says, to, at one point, all I see are dead people. Oh. Uh, and and his he, name is Cole. And the kid's name is Cole. And the kid's name is Cole. Cole. And then that movie, you know, uh, Six Sense takes pra- place in Philadelphia. So it's, it's, it's kind of weird. And uh, Brad Pitt produced Twelve Years a Slave, Twelve Monkeys. Monkeys <laughs> 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 start with Twelve. When you, yeah. you know, the, next to each other on the... Mm-hmm. And, and well, the there's story. also 12 Angry Men could be in front of that. And and Brad Pitt does this whole monologue in Fight Club about like how the world will be taken over once the apocalypse happens. And he's like talking about the animals stalking through the streets. Of, and monkeys. Uh, and monkeys climbing yeah. the, mm-hmm. the bridges and stuff. So I don't know. There's some weird echoes throughout moviedom in this movie. Yeah. And uh, the coronavirus was created by Christopher Plummer <laughs> <laughs> on the set of Knives Out. Damn you, Plummer! He wouldn't do that. No, not He's our us. greatest Canadian. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, what did you guys think? Was it rewatchable, Blaine? Hands down, yeah. Okay, I'll put my hands down. Did you think it was rewatchable, Blaine? <laughs> but I have a gun on you. Please put them up. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't have a gun. Uh, I don't have a gun. It was totally rewatchable. I love this movie. I think it's uh, like even more genius now that I'm seeing – Like I, I, when I first saw it, or when I was remembering it, I was like, oh, like he only goes back one time. But the continuing to go back and him thinking he's insane and she realizing that he's not is a perfect crossover midpoint. It's just like a perfect script. Really well done. I, I love this movie. What about you, Rob? Yeah, I loved it before and it felt so good to watch. I was like, you know, at the edge of the seat uh, the whole time. Even though obviously like I knew the twist, I was still like very excited to see it sort of play out. I think all the acting is amazing in this movie. I really think it's probably Terry Gilliam's masterpiece. Mm. And I've just recently saw Brazil again and I think that's great. Um, And it's his most (laughs) self-indulgent and wonderful piece of cinema. But this is like where you get to see Terry Gilliam actually do his best work, you know. And he he has like just enough detachment from it that uh, he doesn't uh, fuck it up. (laughs) So I I think it's a great movie. It's still one of my favorite movies. It's one of the most fascinating like stories. It comes together the best. I think it's great. What about Mm. you, Jam? Yeah, I – enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. I, and I don't mean that as an ins- insulting thing to say. It's just I 
I remember really liking this movie, but it's not one. It's just one I kind of assumed was good and yeah. didn't always feel like watching. But, you know, taking another look at it really made me appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, and how even just how the structure of it is so unusual, the way we go back and forth from the the future to the past to mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's very unique and uh, and there's some funny parts in it too. Like we were talking about, like oh, we'll do it right this time, and then he goes back <laughs> to World War One or right. when they see the cops and they're on the lamb and they turn around and they're on this huge jumbotron like yeah, in front yeah. of the police. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's, yeah, there's some funny moments. Yeah, it has it has a sense of humor mm-hmm. to it, which you know is not unusual for Gilliam movies. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it makes me. Remember how much I like Terry Gilliam movies and how much I wish he would stop saying stupid shit. <laughs> Shut up, Gilliams. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really a great movie. Well, you know, the biggest thing for me in rewatching it, because I haven't seen it in so long, like I said, is probably the fact that I've seen La Jete so many times in the mm-hmm. interim. And it, one one thing we didn't mention is the, uh, the Hitchcock connection, because Chris Marker is a big Hitchcock fan. There's a vertigo illusion in La Jete. Right. And, like... In San Soleil, there's a whole segment where he goes to San Francisco and goes to the filming locations of Vertigo. So to actually, I guess because this was a universal movie, you know, they were able to actually use footage from Vertigo right. in in that sequence where they go to the movie theater, which you know, it's it's just uh, it's just kind of perfect and yeah, circular. It made and... me appreciate it more. I, yeah. I think it just builds on the original as opposed Definitely. to taking anything away from it. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching it this time. It was great. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening. If you have any thoughts about the movie, you can always email us at uh, rewatchability at gmail.com or tweet at us at rewatchability. Mm-hmm. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Until or, then. Or go to like geocities.redmonkey. <laughs> yeah, you want to you plug your website again? Yeah, <laughs> angelfire slash geocities slash redmonkey dot Jeff. <laughs> <laughs>